The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Doctor's Lounge Show with Dr. Scott Barber. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Doctor's Lounge. You're listening to Dr. Scott Barber on America's Web Radio. Today, I want to talk a little bit about the fact that the leaders in medicine don't seem to be leading us anymore. And we've had a lot going on in the last couple of years with the COVID pandemic. And I think a lot of people are starting to realize that in many ways, we're living in the Truman Show. We have these uh, things that are happening in front of us that uh, just defy belief. And um, I think it's quite shocking. You know, when I was young, I used to listen to these presidential debates and I would want to, and I was really trying to learn about the world and the way it worked. For example, on tax policy, what's the proper rate of taxation that, that works best for a country and what is the proper role of government, the size, scope and scale and the concept of a safety net that there are people out there that are less fortunate than others and that it's better for our society if we have a safety net to make sure that people aren't living in the streets. And now I'm 57 years old. I've been watching politics and, and news for a long, long time. And what I've noticed is we never actually get to talk about these issues because people always have another agenda. And I remember it used to frustrate me. Every time I would listen to presidential debates, it's always held on ABC, NBC, MSNBC, CNN, who always have a left of center agenda. And so the questions are always, uh, they're always put forth in a manner that, that benefits people with left of center thinking and are always designed to trip up people with right of center thinking. And so we never really get to see a battle of ideas between candidates. It usually degenerates into that person's a liar and this person's a cheater and this person's an extremist. And they use all these terms, but we never actually get to discuss anything meaningful. And I remember when Fox News, which is supposedly the right of center news organization, and if you listen to the rest of the media, you would think they're a far, far right uh, outlet. I would argue that they're a very centrist outlet and that when it comes to uh, push comes to shove, that they actually lean towards right. I think a perfect example of that is during this last presidential election, Fox News called Arizona for Joe Biden way before the the end of the election. And it was obviously an effort on their part, in my opinion, for fact checkers out there, uh, to prevent people from going to the polls, thinking that the, the race is already over. So there's no reason for people to go out and vote. Um, anyway, I remember when Fox News finally got the presidential debates and I thought to myself, wow, we may actually hear an argument or a discussion between supposedly educated people. I'm a lot more cynical now in terms of believing our politicians to be knowledgeable. But I believed we were going to have a discussion about political perspective and policy. And, of course, um, Kelly, 
what, what's her name from Fox News? Uh, Kelly. Kellyanne Conway? No, no. She's, uh, she's over at, I don't know, NBC now. Kelly. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm forgetting her name. Anyway, she, uh, she asked the first question of Donald Trump and it was something to the effect of, uh, you know, how long have you hated women? And I just remember rolling my eyes like, are you kidding me? Uh, this is, this is unbelievable. So again, we're not going to have the ability to discuss these issues. And, you know, this is politics. I'm, I'm personally, uh, into politics and I'm only into politics because I've gotten old enough to realize that you can't ignore politics because it's going to get into your life. Politics is affecting our health care. It's affecting our education. It affects your ability to grow a business, to develop a business. They're really, they have their hands in every corner of your life. And if you don't start paying attention and start looking at the candidates you vote for, you're going to lose a lot. And I really feel at this point that the country is, is in the balance. And we are on the verge of losing our freedom the way peoples have lost freedom uh, so many times over the centuries and the millennia. Uh, our country is really falling apart in a lot of ways, and medicine is a major, uh, major component of the power structure of this country. Medicine represents approximately 20% of the economy, and there is a lot of power in medicine, and we just saw that with the COVID pandemic. We saw under the guise of a uh, of a pandemic the government was able to literally shut down the world's economy it was able to take away civil liberties away from people if you look in other countries uh, shanghai china people were literally locked in their uh, in their apartments with no ability to get water and food and leave i mean the the news outlets and you could see on social media were playing a video of people shrieking up in their buildings, uh, unable to get food and water. Uh, we saw p- places like Australia where uh, people were unable to go more than five uh, miles or five kilometers away from their house. They had literally uh, police checking papers on people uh, to see if they were going to the grocery store in their allotted time. Uh, we saw the world compel everybody to take a vaccine that was new and experimental and we, we've spoken about the issues regarding that. And for those of you out there who noted that, that we used to discuss issues surrounding the pandemic and then kind of stopped, uh, it's because we were the victims of attack from the left and, and we were being silenced. But the data is coming out so massively against the people who perpetrated this crime against humanity that, that we're going to wait uh, till we get our ducks in a row. We're really going to come back and and discuss uh, how that how that happened. Now, my you know when when I was a kid, I always kind of likened things and the way the world works to to things when I was a kid because it really is an easy way of of internalizing concepts and demonstrating concepts to people. Uh, for example, I can remember having an argument when I was a kid and you would say, no, I'm right. I asked my father and my father told me so. And it was sort of like that was going to end the argument because a father represented an authority figure. They were an adult and it somehow ended the debate. And the other thing it did was it absolved me from having to provide any facts or any data. 
well, here we are now I'm an adult and I'm looking at the world stage and we have the same phenomenon going on that is trying to end free speech. Now, the American Constitution, the U.S. Constitution is one of the most important documents ever written and it enshrines the rights of of the individuals in in our country in a document, the Bill of Rights, and our Constitution gives us constitutional rights, and it's a bunch of rules that tell the government what it cannot do to us. And the number one, the number one uh, right that we have is the right to free speech. And the founding fathers put it number one because it is the most important. And people are starting to lose the concept of that. The other thing. Uh, that they do, that people do to try and, and shut down free speech is in this age, we now see that we have things called fact checkers and they refer to the experts and they talk about misinformation and they characterize things as hate speech. And, you know, in medicine, we talk about this thing called best practices. And, um, we see that, uh, people, uh, and entities uh, are trying to end debate. They're trying to end our ability to question authority by uh, by ascribing these methods to try and shut down free speech. And for example, if you go out onto social media and you say something that big tech disagrees with, they were going to label you a known spreader of misinformation, and they're going to use that as an excuse to to shut down your account. And to prevent you from saying it. And worse than just preventing people from getting their ideas into the marketplace of ideas, into the public square, it's it's changing the way we think, me included, because people are afraid of being canceled. They're afraid of losing their businesses. They're afraid, afraid of losing their ability to function in society. And so it alters the way people think about things. And so... When I think about how medicine has failed us, how it's really just gotten over the top, I think about biologic uh, men that are competing in women's sports. Uh, we see this, uh, this, this male who identifies now as a female that's competing in swimming. Uh, I, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he's, you know, something like the 540th uh, best swimmer when he was a male. And now that he's transitioned to a female, He's winning races left and right. Uh, we see this all over the place. And, and if you think 10 or 15 years ago, something like this, the idea that biologic males who are born with larger frames, larger physical frames, bony structure, larger muscle mass, they're just different. And somewhere in your uh, teens or 20s that you just decide that you're going to change to a different gender doesn't erase the fact that biologically you're bigger, faster, stronger on average than most females. And this is utterly ridiculous. And it's gotten to the point now where you see these situations where men are competing in women's sports and winning. And you would think that the parents would be outraged. And I can guarantee you they are because I'm the father of two daughters. And I can tell you if my daughters were completing, competing in sports and they were losing to biologic males, I'd be screaming at the top of my lungs. But the thing is, you would never hear me because the powers that be, the control media and control speech in the public square, don't want you to hear that. And so they're preventing 
the voices of people that oppose this narrative. And so now uh, we have a situation. Boys are competing with girls uh, in in girls sports. We see situations like in Virginia where uh Biologic males who are identifying as females are going into the female restrooms. Uh, we had an instance where there was a male who was uh, sexually abusing females in the female restroom and the, the public school system quietly moved him to a different school. Um, this is outrageous stuff. And when I also, when I, the transgender issue is something that is really horrifying to me because it's just so evil. We've recently seen, uh, people, uh, making phone calls to some of these, uh, medical institutions that are not fringe institutions, by the way, Vanderbilt University, Yale University, uh, uh, University of California, San Francisco. These institutions are performing transgender hormone therapy on adolescents and minors. They're also performing transgender operations, literally performing orchiectomies, which is removal of the testicles, and mastectomies, removal of the breast tissue, and hysterectomies in some cases on children that are not old enough to drive, old enough to drink, old enough to vote. This is utterly insane. And again, 10, 15 years ago, this would be unthinkable that somebody would allow a child, a young person, to make a decision about their life when they don't have the ability to understand the ramifications. And you you can talk to me about a young person having gender dysphoria. I'm not saying that's not a real thing. It absolutely is a real thing. But the solution has not been proven that to make this person happy you mutilate them by cutting off their male parts or their female parts and try and uh, turn them into their opposite sex uh, that's different from what their biology is. And the fact that we have trouble even talking about this is is terrifying to me because we're descending into an area that is that is just flat out evil in my opinion. I mean mutilating children um and I'm asking myself where where is medicine, right? So we know that people went out there and suggested that the vaccines may not be effective, which we now know is a fact, right? It's a fact. It's indisputable. The I've played for you on this show, uh, the uh, Dr. Walensky saying that what the vaccines can no longer do is prevent transmission. There was a time that if you suggested that could happen, you were suspended. You were risking your medical license. Now it's true. Uh, if you questioned the efficacy of paper and cloth masks, you were suspended. You were attacked. You were uh, discredited. And now the CDC comes in and, and, and states, yes, they, they are no longer effective. And it's, it's even worse than that, that the CDC, I can show you and I will show you, was engaged in, in duping the public to believing that masks are unaffect, were, were, uh, were effective when they were not. And they did this by, uh, publishing bogus studies that were very poor studies that didn't have, that did, did not meet the standards for, uh, meaningful studies in terms of, uh, selecting, uh, proper control groups, proper study groups, and accounting for, uh, variables. And then they post these little, uh, uh, charts that were perfect for social media and for the casual consumer that appeared to show that masks 
were effective, that if you wear cloth, cloth masks, you'd get, you know, 56% decrease in infection. Uh, if you wore surgical masks, it was a little bit more. And if you wore an N95 mask, it was like 83%. But then when you read the fine print, it's got a little asterisk down at the bottom that says uh, clinically uh, non-statistical or statistically uh, meaningless. So they're knowingly putting up these charts that are designed to get you to believe one thing when if you read the text of what they're posting, it says the absolute opposite of it. And the worst thing is that if doctors asked questions, they were attacked. And it had the effect of silencing free speech. And here we are now where I'm waiting to discuss this because the data is just piling up, but there are uh, vaccine injuries. We now know they recently uh, had a study that actually is not that old, or I'm sorry, is not that recent. It was from 2021 showing a, a significant number of pregnant women that have the mRNA vaccine in their breast milk. How many women would, would have wanted to know that before they got vaccinated? Uh, we also understand that the uh, people uh, that were vaccinated or I'm sorry, that the people that were really vulnerable to this disease were older, had comorbid conditions and that young people were really, uh, really not at risk from this disease. And I have to be so careful because when you say not at risk, you know, and one person on the planet of 7 billion get sick, then you're labeled, oh, he's a known spreader of misinformation and, you know, he needs to be ostracized and lose his medical license. What I'm trying to say is that COVID for our school-aged children was not as dangerous as influenza, okay? And when is the last time the population freaked out about influenza, you know? And then we we are still at this point mandating vaccinations with these new experimental experimental vaccines that we now know for a fact. And this is, you know, for all you fact checkers out there and people who want to report me to medical boards and things like that. All I'm stating is that in our peer reviewed journal like JAMA in the New England Journal and others are pointing out that myocarditis is associated with these vaccines. We know that there are uh, questions about what's happening in pregnancy that these mRNA vaccines are showing up in people's breast milk, pregnant women's breast milk. Uh, we know that there are other questions out there and there are people who are suffering vaccine injuries and yet we're still mandating these vaccinations on our children. Mandating, by the way. Now, the fact checkers also will be out there telling me, oh, they're not mandated, they're voluntary. Yeah, if you want your kid to be able to go to school, if you want them to participate in sports, if you want them to have a life, you have to get this vaccine. And this is another scam that somehow we're having uh, free speech and free will over our bodies when we're really not. People are putting, you know, we're seeing people in the military that are being uh, eliminated because they refuse to get this vaccine when even with all this the censorship that's out there, uh, people are realizing that there are issues here. And all I'm saying for the people in at the end of the day who want to report me and all this kind of stuff, all I'm saying is there there is a risk-benefit analysis there as to whether or not somebody wants to get the vaccine right now. And I'm asking myself, where are the doctors? Where are the doctors? Where Where are our medical professionals protecting us and educating us and allowing us the free exchange of ideas. Um, I'm not seeing it. In fact, what I'm seeing is the other direction where our medical community is censoring doctors and 
throwing a wet blanket basically on free thought and free speech. I have shown you on this show where uh, the various medical boards were threatening doctors with loss of licensure if they suggested that vaccines were not effective or that masks didn't work. This is insanity to me. The transgender thing uh, is really quite shocking to me. I was not aware that uh, that we had major medical institutions like Vanderbilt and University of uh, 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 Yale University, and I think it's University of California, San Francisco. It's one of the California ones that were um, uh, re- um, performing these transgender operations on minors. So, uh, uh, you know, again, if we're counting on our medical professionals and our medical industry to be leading us and to be helping us, where is it happening? Uh, the other thing recently is we just saw the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Now, abortion is one of those things that uh, I don't typically talk about in polite company because people are very passionate about it. And I've been all over the place over the course of my life. Like, I get the complexity of the issue. And because it's complex in my own mind, thinking about where exactly does life begin and where exactly is it immoral to, to abort babies? Uh, I, I want, I've changed my opinions on these things and it's still evolving. And so I tend not to talk about it, but I've gotten to the point now where one of the reasons that we have these issues is because our free speech is being censored and we can't talk about issues in a nuanced way because we're afraid of being canceled and arrested and losing our licenses and basically being kicked out of society and losing our ability to earn money and support our families. But we need to start, we need to start doing this. And I'm trying to find a way to fight back one little bit at a time by just asking some basic questions and getting people to have the courage to say things like there are two genders. I mean, I can't believe that in 2022, almost about to be 2023, that is a controversial statement. And I actually have to worry, am I going to be attacked? Uh, I mean, I'm sure if this, when this podcast is big enough that the fact checkers will, out, will be out there attacking me. Um, uh, you know, when I think about what it, why I became a doctor, you know, I wanted, I, I wanted, you know, first of all, I, I've shared on this show uh, before, I really wanted to be a professional soccer player. And we got the World Cup coming up. And in this day and age, you know, I can watch the Premier League in England. I can watch the Bundesliga in Germany. I can watch uh, the First Division League in France, which uh, allows me to watch uh, PSG Paris Saint-Germain, where uh, Messi and Neymar and Mbappe in uh, Marquinhos. I mean, it's just one of the greatest teams on the planet. I watch them all the time and I think, wow, it's really amazing to be able to watch these amazing soccer players. Um, we got the World Cup coming up and, um, you know, it's really uh, a global, a global world in a lot of ways. But in terms of governing, governing needs to be at the local level because the farther we get away from the people that uh, that lead us, 
the less accountability they have to us. And that's why when the founding fathers put together our republic, our constitutional republic, which is set in laws, they made the House of Representatives uh, election every two years and the House was close to the people. And so we could we could have an influence on these people and they constantly the powers that be the elites are constantly trying to create this one world governance because it allows them to uh, wield power over the rest of us and gives us le- very little opportunity to fight back. And you can see uh, recently in Italy. Uh, they just elected this new woman who's a conservative. And, of course, the left is branding her the moniker of fascist and calling her Mussolini and all these types of things. And when I look at her policy prescriptions, uh, I agree with them. She simply wants to put the power back in the hands of Italians. Uh, they're trying to get away from the European Union. The European Union is an unelected group of, of bureaucrats that has basically controlled uh, the peoples of Europe. We've seen uh, recently the Brexit movement where Britain fed up with the European Union because the European Union passes laws on immigration and other things, uh, monetary policy and things like that, that affect these countries and they have no ability to vote these people out of office. You see Italy is sick and tired of it as well. And so the world is trying to resist this and healthcare is is a major portion of those levers of power. And I see what has happened in healthcare over the course of my life. And that's why I know it's so important. Now, when I first started doing this podcast and being involved in sort of uh, the politics of medicine and trying to inform people about it, I really just was thinking about it from the perspective of delivering quality healthcare. And this idea, I used to truly believe that people who were proponents of socialized medicine actually wanted healthcare to be available to more people. I believe that. Now I don't believe that. Now I believe the reason they want socialized medicine is because it gives them overall political power and allows them to gain control over the population. And I don't believe that this is really an argument about or a debate about the best way to deliver healthcare. It is so obvious that socialized medicine is the draconian and evil way of doing things that uh, that is no longer the debate. The debate is to make people understand what is happening, meaning the reason that they are pushing so hard for socialized medicine in this country is because it gives them political power. And they want to wield that power. And we saw what happened with COVID, right? The Congress got together. Oh, my God, we're having a pandemic. It's the worst thing in the history of the world. Everybody has to get vaccinated. There was tons of money that was flowing. Um, these pharmaceutical companies, Pfizer and Moderna, uh, Johnson & Johnson, they made an absolute killing on the, on the fact that we were all mandated to, to get these uh, new experimental vaccines. Um, the... Congress passed, you know, two trillion dollar spending bills on COVID relief. I asked the question, um, who's monitoring where that money is going? Who's itemizing that? Um, these PPP loans that are uh, just going out to people. Um, where does that money come from? Well, we don't have it. They're just printing it, which is leading to the inflation crisis. And then we have these politicians looking right back at us and saying, man, 
Nobody saw this inflation coming. And it's like, what are you talking about? Nobody saw it coming. Even little old me, a doctor, uh, you know, that's just a regular citizen was screaming about this. This is how you get inflation. You print money that you don't have and they do it over and over again. And then the worst part of it is I'm just watching our healthcare industry demonstrably fail us on things that are obvious. Transgender surgeries, biologic males competing with women, forcing injections of new experimental vaccines on children, and uh, the abortion issue, uh, no, no discussion there, no concepts about medicine. Now, we're going to go to a break uh, for a minute. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the abortion issue. We just overturned Roe v. Wade. I want to explain to you uh, what I find so objectionable about the debate that we've been having uh, on, on abortion. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients, dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to the Doctor's Lounge. You're listening to Dr. Scott Barber on America's Web Radio. And today we're talking about the fact that our medical leaders look like they have been letting us down big time. Now, uh, a lot has been going on in the world. I've been sort of reflecting on how how badly medicine has really just been letting us down as as patient populations you know i'm a doctor but i'm also a patient and i'm just i'm looking at these uh, medical institutions these medical boards uh you're looking at the uh the cdc the fda all of these medical institutions that are supposed to be protecting us and informing us and helping us make free uh decisions that uh, benefit our lives and to improve our health. And what I'm seeing is absolute failure of leadership everywhere I look. Uh, recently, uh, there are people like Matt Walsh uh, from the Daily Wire who's been doing amazing work on exposing the transgender industry and revealing the fact that uh, that major medical institutions in this country are performing mutilation surgeries under the guise of gender affirming care is the euphemism they use. And what they're really doing is performing irreversible mutilating operations on children who are not capable of making these types of life altering decisions. And yet 
uh, it's happening and it seems to be happening in large part because it helps a certain political agenda and it's uh, financially very beneficial to these institutions. And I'm asking myself, where are the doctors standing up to this? We're looking at what went on with COVID. I mean, I still go into some of the hospitals where I work and we're forced to wear masks. I just went to my own doctor yesterday and they made me wear a mask. Now the CDC tells us the masks don't work. They've been busted. The CDC has been busted, caught red-handed trying to convince us that masks work. And then we look closely at the studies and we realize it was just a scam, that they were purposely trying to convince us that the masks work when they didn't. And now they admit it doesn't work. This is not me spreading misinformation. I'm just telling you what the current CDC policy is. Um, and yet, where where is the medical community saying, hey, it, uh, it looks like you guys were being a little dishonest about that. Maybe we should talk about it. Man, I can't even get my hospitals to consider eliminating the masks. I mean, you know, and then we talk about the abortion issue. This is something I really haven't touched, and I kind of got sidetracked when I was talking about it. But what I really wanted to say was I've been thinking about abortion for a very long time. Obviously, when I was a young man, uh, I thought about it, uh, and it was – uh, you know, when I was younger, uh, and, and unmarried, it was more of an issue in terms of, uh, that, that it could affect my life. Um, now that I've been a doctor and I've seen it up close and personal, there are some issues that I think bear discussion so that we can come up with a frame of reference, a way of thinking about this, a discussion that is, that is honest and open and is a, consideration of the people from a free republic trying to get along together and figure out what is the best way to conduct our lives in a civil society. And it seems like if you bring up a, a abortion, you're either on one side or the other. Life begins at conception. That's it. Or if you're uh, pro-abortion, uh, you can kill babies after they're born. I mean, there's stuff in between there. Now, I personally do not know anybody his, that is okay with killing a baby after it's born. But uh, we recently played audio tape, or audio tape was 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 uh, spread around from the uh, previous governor in Virginia, blanking on his name, um, who was caught on tape talking about his understanding of abortion policy. And he was basically making a statement, something to the effect of the baby will be born uh, or you didn't say the baby will be born, but it, it will be born. Uh, it will be made comfortable while a decision is made. Uh, and, you know, the obvious question is, well, what do you mean a decision is made? As in, we're going to decide whether or not to kill the baby after it's already born? I mean, I don't know anybody who's okay with that. Now, there's a term they use called afterbirth abortion. Uh, uh, President Obama voted for that three times. He's on record having voted for afterbirth abortion three times. Now, afterbirth abortion is killing a baby. Now, I <laughs> I can understand the concept of a clump of cells. So, <clears throat> you know, a, an egg is fertilized by a sperm. It becomes a zygote. Uh, this zygote then splits into multiple cells. We call that a morula. And then that morula implants into, uh, you know, the endometrium and it forms into a fetus and goes through developmental uh, process where it eventually becomes a baby. And now with uh, improving studies like ultrasound where we can see what's happening in the baby, people have a much better understanding of 
the fact that babies react to stimuli. They we we see images of them sucking their thumb. Um, you know, we see all sorts of things that are happening earlier and earlier and earlier in pregnancy, and it's getting people to say, "Well, wait a second. If uh, how does an abortion actually happen?" Well, they stick in these forceps and they start grabbing pieces of the baby and they rip an arm off and a leg off and this kind of stuff. I'm a doctor and I was like, wow, that's really, I mean, I, I've known for a long time, but I mean, there was a time when I was a doctor and I didn't know how this was done. I mean, I just assumed they keep telling me it's this clump of cells thing. I thought they were just sort of scraping out, you know, this amorphous tissue. Uh, and then I come to find out, wait, wait, what? You're ripping off legs and arms and the baby could potentially be feeling that. Listen, I'm asking questions right now, but I'm not allowed to ask these questions. And nobody ever does. When you turn on TV shows or you watch talk shows or you listen to talk radio, you don't hear a lot of that unless you go to conservative minded shows where they actually talk about the process, about what's happening. And that to me is dishonest. Because if at the end of the day, if what we're really trying to do is improve society, I get it. If you have an unwanted pregnancy, it can mess up your life. I get that. And is it really significant if you're, you're, you know, getting rid of this amorphous clump of cells? I don't know what the answer is, but I'm open to discussing it. The older I get and the more I learn, the more I'm inclined to believe that life begins at conception. And the reason is because as a society, Life is important. And when we start losing value of life, whether it be in the womb, it transmits into other things. And we get more and more draconian in the way we think about things. And we get more dystopian in the way we think about things and the way we behave. And it's part of the process to get us to all not think about what's going on with abortion so that people who want to abort babies for their convenience or for their political agendas don't have to face these ugly truths. When is the last time you saw a politician say, uh, on the left, say, I support abortions up until a certain period of time, 23 weeks, 22 weeks? I'm like, you never hear that. They always do this song and dance where they immediately change the the uh, discussion from when do you think we should stop killing the babies to women have a right uh, to the to their own bodies and it's their own health care and it's their own decision and all this kind of stuff. And that is not what I'm talking about. I want to know when people think is the right time to prevent abortions. Now, I'm telling you for me personally, if there's a possibility that a baby could be feeling themselves being ripped apart, I'm not for that. I am against that 100%. I do not want that to happen, and I want to stop it, and it's pure evil. And the fact that people are preventing me from learning about that makes me even more angry. Now, I can tell you, when I went to medical school, I was very, I was very, I, I've told the story many times, I didn't get into medical school until my fifth try. I was born to be a doctor. I wanted it so badly. And when I got there, I was thirsty for knowledge. I wanted to know everything. I studied in a way I could never study again. I mean, I was really questing for knowledge. I also felt an immense responsibility to my future patients to learn my craft. I had to know what I was doing because I want to be able to take care of my patients in the future. And I really took that seriously. And so when I was on my OBGYN rotations, I always used to ask, like, 
when are we going to talk about abortion? And I mean, if you brought it up, and I did many times to the different uh, doctors, OBGYN doctors that I was involved with, they would immediately just like, oh, I don't talk about that. I mean, I don't know how many of you even realize that, that when you go to your OBGYN, like, and you get, you know, your regular checkups and your, those people are not the ones doing abortions. All right. It's a whole separate thing. And we don't really talk about it. We didn't really learn about it. In medical school, there was no test questions on it. It just kind of, I was in OBGYN and then I was out of it and it never really came up and I kind of forgot about it. But when I was on those rotations asking questions, hey, I want to learn about abortion. I want to, how exactly does this happen? It just never did. And I, I, when I look back on it, I could see how they were just, oh, I don't, I feel very uncomfortable talking about that and I want to move on. Let's, let's go talk to something else. And I never, while I was in medical school, saw an abortion. I never heard about it. It wasn't even an opportunity to be able to go learn about this stuff. Okay. Now I'm not, I, I became an orthopedic surgeon. So, you know, I don't know what it's like in an OBGYN residency. I mean, maybe they got it there, but certainly in med school, we did not even talk about it. And I personally believe that that's because there's a political agenda there that wants to keep people ignorant about what's going on to stop asking questions so that things like overturning Roe v. Wade wouldn't happen. Now, the other thing about Roe v. Wade is the left is freaking out about saying things like we're losing our God-given rights. And the reality is that is not what happened at all. Overturning Roe did not ban abortions. All it did was put the the uh, legal decision-making up to the states, which is how the constitutional republic is set up. We don't have to have everything at the federal level. We are supposed to be a representative republic. We have these 50 states, which represent 50 incubators of democracy. So I hate using the term democracy because we are not a democracy. Democracy is mob rule. That means 51 of the percent of the people can vote to steal 49% of the people's money. We are not a democracy. We are a representative republic, meaning we have a set rule of law that is established. And no matter what the passions are at the time of the people, the law is the law. And we have a process by changing laws or by adding laws or by ending laws. And we also have a process by altering the constitution at the federal level. Okay. And that is what protects us. And the whole Roe v. Wade thing to me is just a big canard. And I think it's time that we start talking about, we had um, project Veritas, James O'Keefe, who had the undercover uh, video of the people working at Planned Parenthood uh, talking about how much money they make with the fetal uh, tissue that they sell and getting sports cars with the fetal tissue. And uh, where did that go? I mean, where did that where was the national discussion about that? No, what was happened was Project Veritas was censored. That information was pulled off the Internet. If you tried to repost it, you were you know, banned and labeled a known spreader of misinformation and all this kind of stuff. Um, and that to me is just not what the civil society is about. We should be talking about these issues openly and we should be having a discussion. Now I get it. I get it. You got a teenage daughter and they get pregnant. That is a big deal, but it's the way you think about things. And because we devalue life, it makes it easy to end that life so that it doesn't inconvenience your life. I mean, there are people I've come across in this world that I think to myself, man, my life would be better and easier if that person weren't here, but I don't go and murder them. And I don't go, I don't even consider it because life has value. 
And that's just the way we're raised culturally. Life has value. You don't just get to murder somebody because they're in their way. But we don't do the same thing in the womb. And I'm wondering why. Why don't we talk about this stuff? And we need to start talking about it. And more importantly, why is medicine uh, not talking about this stuff? Now, <clears throat> just trying to understand the groundwork, the playing field, understand what's happening here that, you know, I'm here to tell you it is very difficult for you to be able to research anything that you don't already know about. The uh, powers that be with the fact checkers and uh, these, uh, the way that they put uh, research out there to, to confuse people is unbelievable. I've been complaining about it for years. I often talk about with the climate change, they talk about 90 97% of climate scientists agree that man-made global warming is a big deal. And then when you read the actual study, you see that two-thirds of doctors or what they decided were climate scientists said, I have no idea. So only 30% or 33% of the people even had a comment. And then when you look at those 33%, the 97% of those 33% said they think that it may, that man-made activity may contribute to climate change. And then that turned into, uh, man, you know, 97% of climate scientists agree that climate change is because of man. I mean, that is not what the study says. They do this kind of stuff all the time. When the pandemic was coming around, the way these studies were coming up supporting masks and other things, the, they were corrupting the science. And I've often thought about would it be worthwhile for me to actually take scientific articles and show you how to break it down and look at them critically? And I sometimes I think to myself that would be too boring and people wouldn't listen. Uh, but maybe I should do that. Maybe I, at some point I'm going to find a simple study. I'm going to break it down just to give you guys an idea about just because somebody puts together a study doesn't make it infallible. In fact, Studies are never infallible. They always have bias. And like I've said so many times when I was in medical school and residency, we used to have journal clubs and we would read articles and then we would discuss them. And we would talk about this article is a pretty good one. It's got these flaws in it. And we were taught to read them critically. And sometimes articles were terrible. And then you throw into it the politics that's affecting how things uh, are published. For example, if you're... If you're a scientist and you say, hey, I want to put together this paper that shows that climate change is totally fake, you're not going to get any funding from that. You're not going to get anybody to publish that because the powers that be don't want to hear that. Well, that's a corruption in science, and we need to know it. And I want you guys to start seeing the playing field so that you can understand what's happening in the world around you. Now, the first thing I talked about in the beginning of the show, in order to suppress free speech, they're using terms like fact-checkers experts, misinformation, hate speech, best practices. All of these things are little tools that are designed to give them a credible reason for censoring your speech, which is historically known to be a terrible thing. That's why the founding fathers made it the very first amendment in the Bill of Rights. Now, David, I want you to play cut three. I want you to hear this. This is Dr. Fauci uh, being questioned by Rand Paul at a Senate hearing. Uh, but she's had the flu for 14 days. Should she get a flu shot? Well, no. If she got the flu for 14 days, she's as protected as anybody can be because the best vaccination is to get infected yourself. Recommendation by the CDC through their committee that a vaccination 
following infection gives an added extra boost. And that film that you showed is really taken out of context. I believe that was when someone called in who had had a reaction to a vaccine and asked me through a telephone in the interview if they should get vaccinated again. So it was in the context of someone who had a reaction. As a matter of fact, Reuters fact check looked at that and said, Fauci's 2004 comments do not contradict his pandemic actually, actually words don't. Okay, so what you were listening there was Rand Paul asking Dr. Fauci about his comments. They found a video from him many, many years ago talking to a caller who was asking, uh, hey, I just caught the flu. So since I got the flu and I got over it, do I need to get another vaccination? And Fauci saying, no, 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 you don't need to get vaccinated. If you already got the flu, you don't need to get vaccinated. The best vaccination you can get is to get infected. Now, flu and the coronavirus are kind of analogous. Now, you fast forward a bunch of years and Fauci's been telling us whether you're infected. And people like me have been saying, wait a second. It used to be that natural immunity was a big deal and that maybe if you got infected by something, you didn't need to have the vaccination. And all of a sudden... I was being told if you say that you'll, you could lose your medical license. If you say that your posts will be taken down off of social media, you'll be sended, suspended and possibly lose your account. And so Rand Paul is playing Fauci's own words to him and asking Fauci to explain himself. And what does Fauci do? He says, well, Reuters fact checked what I said and said that what I said doesn't contradict what I said years ago. And I'm thinking to myself, is anybody else seeing the psychosis in this? You got the man who said both statements saying that he needed to go to fact checkers to justify his position. This is insanity. This and what is happening here is the powers that be are trying to condition us to not use our own critical thinking skills and to acquiesce to the concept of a fact checker, of an expert coming in and telling you that. The sky is green, but I think it's blue. Oh, you're not going to be able to play in any reindeer games. You're not going to be able to go to school. You're going to lose your job and until you capitulate. Okay, okay, okay. The sky is green. Uh, the fact checkers say so. The experts say so. And this is insane. And I'm sitting here, if any of you have ever seen The Truman Show with Jim Carrey, I mean, I feel like I'm in The Truman Show. Like, I can't see things and comment on them anymore. I can't say, wait a second. That guy who's like 6'2 is competing against women and winning all the time and people don't see a problem with that. We got biologic males using the female bathrooms in public schools and are molesting children, other other girls, and people don't see a problem with that. They can't speak out about it. We saw critical race theory being taught in Virginia. This is a whole reason that Governor Yunkin won in Virginia was that Parents were horrified during the COVID pandemic to see that schools were teaching critical race theory to their children. They objected to it. And what happened? The FBI started labeling these parents as potential domestic terrorists and, and investigating them. I mean, I'm looking around like, are you guys seeing this? I mean, this kind of stuff is incredible to me. And I'm asking, 
Where are the medical doctors? Where are the medical doctors coming in? This is not complicated stuff. You know, I talk about it all the time uh, when it comes to these vaccines. I have questions. And for you fact checkers out there and for anybody who wants to report me to the medical boards, I'm asking a question right now. The way I understand the vaccines are they are mRNA. So mRNA is a copy of your DNA. All right. They're in these things called lipid nanoparticles that go into your body. They go up to every cell in your body. Okay. They inject through a process called endocytosis. This is basic biology. So all you eighth graders out there can keep up with me. Uh, the mRNA goes into the cell. The mRNA then goes to the ribosome where it's transcribed into a protein that is the spike protein, right? That spike protein then goes to the cell wall and is exhibited to your body, which stimulates your immune system to attack. Now, this is not complicated biology, and I simply have questions. Is that a problem? Like, let's say that these spike proteins are are exhibited by the cells in your heart muscle. Could that cause myocarditis? I mean, that's a question I had before the JAMA article that was put out saying it looks like people are getting myocarditis related to the vaccine. I mean, it wasn't complicated. And now we're starting to see this mRNA stuff in breast milk, new studies. Uh, I have questions. Is that a problem? That means when your baby is ingesting this mRNA, is that going to cause a problem? I don't know, but I'm, I want to know about it, especially because I know my babies have almost no, I got to say almost no, because otherwise I'll be fact-checked, I'll be reported to the board and all that stuff, almost no chance of being hurt by COVID. So I do not want to give my babies the new experimental vaccine. That's me, because I'm doing a risk-benefit analysis. I'm saying to myself, there's a new experimental vaccine that by using just eighth-grade biology seems to me could be problematic, and we haven't been using it very long. So I don't know what the long-term consequences of it are, and I would like to see. Then I have the risk, if I'm not vaccinated, that I could catch this COVID vaccine. Well, when I look at the data, I'm more afraid of the vaccine and what it could do. Please, nobody report me. I mean, I'm asking a question, and I'm saying how I feel about something. I'm not telling anybody out there to do anything. I'm just saying when I look at the data, I would rather take my chances that my child's not going to get hurt from the COVID vaccine because the data put out by the censoring uh, powers that be, like the CDC and the FDA, tells me that they're very much less likely to be injured by that than the influenza virus. I would just rather not do the vaccine. Now, why can't I say that? Why can't I talk about it? And more importantly, where are the doctors out there leading and asking? I'll tell you what's happening. They're employed. And they're being told by their employers not to shut their pie holes so you don't get to hear it. Um, they're dejected and they're, they're, they're just, they don't want to be censored. They don't want to be hassled. And I got to be honest with you. I don't either. I don't tell you guys everything. I, I have to think about what I'm saying because I don't want to be canceled. And this is a really scary time of life. And I would like more people to start asking questions. I would like more doctors to start asking questions so that we can start coming up with good ideas and best practices. <laughs> I use that term. Even I'm starting to get contaminated by this propaganda. But I want to come up with a, an idea about what is the best way to deliver health care to our citizens. And I can tell you what we're doing right now. It is not working. I got a kid today. I'm going to go do a hip replacement. He's from another state. And he could not get a hip replacement uh, in his own state because 
the system, and this is my opinion, is broken and doctors are not rewarded uh, for taking care of people. And so they basically decide they don't want to take care of complicated people. He has a recent diagnosis of ALS. So that's Lou Gehrig's disease. So that's not great. But he's in the early stages, so he's still functional, and he's got an arthritic hip. So I believe that, number one, he can safely have the hip replacement, and number two, it will give him a better quality of life for whatever time God has planned for him. But he can't get it taken care of out in his own state. He went to one of the top hip replacement surgeons out there, and he calls me, and he says, hey, uh, doc, the doctor out here is telling me that I don't have anything wrong with my hip and that other patients with hip like mine are are running triathlons. And so I went to my x-rays. I pulled him up that I took of him. He flew out for me to work him up because I was the one who made his diagnosis because he couldn't even get that done out in Colorado or out in his state. Um, he, uh, I pull up his x-rays and I sent it to him and then I'm pointing out. I'm like, look at this hip. You see how it's bone on bone? And he's like, yeah, I see that. Okay, let's go look at your other hip. You see how you have this space around your joint all the way around? So that's a normal hip. I'm like, you can see that, right? And he's like, yeah, I totally see that. And I go, okay, you have an arthritic hip. And I'm like, there's no way that that expert total hip guy doesn't see that, right? He just doesn't want to take care of you, in my opinion, because you're complicated, because you have ALS, because he could do five other regular run-of-the-mill patients, without any hassles that are going to go away. And you, with your ALS, you may have issues that may force me to work and to read and to study and to be involved with you as you go through this very difficult time, which is difficult for the doctor too. But that is the difference between a medical system that has a doctor-patient relationship and a draconian, socialized, government-run, top-down, one-size-fits-all system that develops no relationship between doctors and patients. And if that doesn't convince you that you need to be fighting for free market medicine, I don't know what will. I got more. I got more patients like that. He is not the only person coming in to see me from out of town because they can't get care in their states. And the reason is, is because as government penetration has taken more and more control of our healthcare system, it's gotten more and more one size fits all. And that means if you have a problem, that is not on the beaten path. The system is not really designed to help you. You need to fit the government's idea of what justifies care. And as the costs of the bureaucracy go up, up, and up, their ability to have money to deliver care goes down, and so they start narrowing down your your treatment options uh, and narrowing down the people who you can see so that they can control the supply. Uh, and then pretty soon... You're, you're left high and dry, you know? And the thing is, most of us, when we're healthy, we don't access the healthcare system and we don't even think about it, so we don't know any better. But the number one thing you guys have to understand is our healthcare system is not leading right now. You can see it in the basic things that we all know as human beings that are true and we're not getting any protection. Mutilating children, all right? Uh, abortions. Uh, after birth abortions, you know, we had, uh, Kermit Gosnell. Most of you don't know his name, but he was an abortionist who actually got caught for killing babies after they were born, sent to prison. Uh, I guarantee you he's not the only guy, but, you know, they, the, uh, I want to say the Daily Wire or one of these, uh, uh, conservative organizations made a movie about it. 
But other than that, we haven't really talked about that. And regardless of what your thoughts are about abortion, I know the vast majority of you are not okay with killing babies after they're born. And I'm sure most people are not okay with uh, preterm babies being ripped apart in ways where they can feel themselves being ripped apart. And I don't know where the line is. I personally don't know, but I want to know. And I would like us to discuss it so that we can make rules at work. And again, at the end of the day, I see us descending into madness and into evil, new experimental vaccines on children, transgender operations on kids, um, these abortion things. And if people don't start speaking up about the easy things, we're going to be past the point of no return really quickly. You have to be able to say there are two genders. You have to say boys can't compete in girls' sports. You have to say boys should use the boys' room and girls should use the girls' room. These are my opinions. I think they're most of your opinions, too. That's it for the Doctor's Lounge. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, Please email me at – what's the email, David? Dr. Scott. Dr. Scott. At America's Web Radio. At America's Web Radio. So it's Scott. At or called out. No, just DR. So DR Scott at America's Web Radio. I'd love to hear your thoughts and critiques about the show. I start delivering uh, shows that are more in tune with what you guys want to hear. I specifically would like to hear if there's any interest in hearing me break down a scientific study so that you guys can start to get the idea about how do you read a study and understand if it's useful or not. Anyway. This is the Doctor's Lounge. Everybody have a great day. We'll see you next time. You're listening to me on America's Web Radio. Have a great week. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.